The Flourishing Workplace podcast is all about business and nonprofit leaders who are changing things. It's for the innovators, the risk takers, and the change agents who are going beyond business as usual, and they're creating the future. They are done with the status quo, and they are rising to a new opportunity. They think innovation, and they create it. Whether you're listening at work, at the gym, or on your commute, here you're going to find inspiration for your business or nonprofit to have impact and to create workplaces, people, and communities that flourish. Welcome to the Flourishing Podcast. We're so excited that you are with us. And today I am so excited to have my special guest, Jeff Coulard. Um, he is the co-CEO of the Alley Co., a human-centered consultants and coaches helping organizations lead more meaningful in the world. That sounds like such worthy work, Jeff. Thank you. Yeah, it's, uh, it's the most meaningful work that we could think of doing. And so that's the work that we're pursuing. Well, that's amazing. So tell us, tell us a little bit about this meaningful work and maybe how this also relates to psychological safety. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, the, the research on psychological safety has been around for a while and it's, it's pretty conclusive. It says that people thrive, people do their best work when they feel psychologically safe and they can show up to the workplace and be their authentic selves and challenge the people who hold power or challenge their teammates um, to, to do better and to be better and to be more inclusive. And so fundamentally, I think we've probably all experienced that when we've been on a team where we didn't feel like we could say the thing that was on our mind. And so maybe we decided to stay quiet in a meeting. And then maybe after that meeting, we went and found a peer or a colleague and vented a little bit about how terrible that meeting was. Those are indicators of, you know, no psychological safety on the team or in, in the work environment. And it holds us back from individually realizing our full potential, but it holds our teams back from innovating and being as effective as they possibly could be. And so there's, there's a, there's a huge case for us to take psychological safety really seriously, a business case, uh, but that's secondary for me to the human case, which is, do we want people to show up and thrive, um, to be their best and to contribute in a meaningful way? Um, because oftentimes there'll be a discrepancy between what leaders see and what people experience in organizations. And I get that a lot. Um, when we go into organizations and we ask the leaders, you know, what's the level of psychological safety here from their perspective? Oh, it's super safe here. People are totally free to be themselves, blah, 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 blah. You know, the, you know, the routine. Uh, and then we go and talk to the individuals and the people on the team, or we sit in on a, on a meeting and there isn't conflict. There's a lack of conflict. People aren't saying what they actually think. And that is leaking out in other unhelpful ways in the organization. So, you know, psychological safety is a foundational piece of any high performing team. And a lot of the work we end up doing is how do we build that? How do we foster it? Um, yeah. So that's yeah, hugely important topic. Oh, I love that. And I think you described the meeting, the typical meeting, that is the way it goes. The leaders think it went great. Nobody's speaking up, you know, there's, there's sidebar conversations going on. And, you know, we're finding the same thing in our, in our flourishing. And I think we're very similar in what we do. This idea of even taking it back a step further, even just dissecting that a bit more, like how do we create psychological safety? Well, it's not, it's not just check marks, you know, great. We brought in a workshop or we think we're doing the right things. It's how do we create actual people who thrive? I love that. And so I'm wondering, and I didn't put this in our questions, but Jeff, you're a smart guy. You got lots, lots of great ideas. But, you know, one of the things that we're finding is that, you know, when we 
when we talk to employers about this need for psychological safety and they're nodding their heads going, yeah, we've done everything and we're doing great. And then we talk to the employees like you have, and they tell us a different story. How do we make, how do we, how do we reach these leaders, these leaders of organizations that think they're, they're on the ball and yet they're not without making them feel awful. Yeah. Without pathologizing them or shaming them. Um, it's actually probably, you know, just a little bit of a side tangent before we circle back to that, that question. It's one of the problems I have on when I go on my LinkedIn feed and I see a lot of conversation and chatter about toxic workplaces and toxic leaders and bullying in the workplace and all of these things. And not to say that that doesn't exist, but I've also been called into situations where you could put that label on it. You could say, this is a toxic leader. And within a couple of minutes of talking to that toxic leader, I've realized that they care more about the business and they care more about the people in their charge than anybody else in the, in the place and how they're able to show up and be in that leadership role. Isn't congruent with the, those deeply held values. There's a mis, there's a disconnection there. Um, and it's often rooted in things like their own insecurities, things like a lack of um, lack of training, a lack of skill development being put into leadership roles without necessarily taking the time to build the capacity and the competencies of those leaders. And then they get overwhelmed in over their head. And I know when I'm overwhelmed, my stress response kicks in and I'm not at my best. Right. And I could be, I'm sure if you talk to my nine-year-old, there'd be lots of moments where he points to dad's behavior and says, that's toxic parenting. Um, but it's dad under stress, right. And how he's, you know, showing up. And so I think that's important. I think that distinction between leaders and their behavior, and you can be a, your behavior as a leader can be less than helpful, but you as a leader are a person who's as worthy of psychological safety and worthy of the care and attention in the same way that your people are, right? So that human centeredness aspect of our work shows up and we want to center the human, um, but then disconnect it a little bit from their leadership, right? And how they show up. I really love that you said that because I'm with you. Like, I don't know one leader that runs something that woke up this morning thinking, I just want this whole thing to derail. I just want to make everyone's day miserable. Like, <laughs> I think you're right. And you know, it's, it's funny, I'm guilty. I was, I was a part of your LinkedIn um, thread there of, of, of trying to address the problem. And I really actually came to a realization not too long ago that this was not helping. This was actually contributing to that problem. Um, and then I love how your human-centered work, this flourishing work can actually call people a little bit higher. Let's lift this conversation rather than bringing everybody down. So I really, really love this. And so I'm curious, Jeff, like, why do you care about this? What created this um, desire in you to create change in this particular area. So quick, I guess the backstory or the, the origin story here is if, if we go back to kind of my earlier work experiences, they were in the, in the fields of human development and mostly in kind of the social services side of thing. And so a lot of years working in addiction and mental health with young people and families before that, working with the kids cancer care foundation, a little bit out of Calgary and the Easter seals camp horizon. So working with, you know, people who would be on the, the down power side of uh, most dynamics, you know, the people who are looking, um, I guess, needing some help, needing some assistance. And so through that, I, I've discovered the, I guess, the power of transformation um, and the power of relationships to help people in that transformation and that all work is relational work at the end of the day and leadership. And 
you know, I often joke that everything I know about leadership, I learned in addictions treatment, and it's mostly true, right? If you can help someone change a behavior like addiction, right, and shift that into something that is less present for them, or kind of help work them through that, you should be able to work through anything with anybody, right? Like I, the hardest conversations I've ever had are with 16 year olds sitting around a campfire, right? So there's no boardroom meeting that scares me anymore. There's no CEO that can, you know, knock me off my game because I've been sworn at and told what to do with myself so many times um, by young people that, you know, you, you build this. So for me, I built this, I guess, desire to take what works there and bring it to other parts of society that haven't quite gotten there yet. I think that in a lot of ways, our helping services, addiction and mental health are quite a bit further ahead when it comes to uh, the work that the society needs to do at large and certainly within our organizations need to do. And I got tired, to be honest, of working with those 16 year olds around the campfire and their families when I saw all of the things that led them there and realized that I was at the end of the pipeline and I wanted to get a little bit closer to the front. And so that kind of sparked my desire to move into more of more different systems, um, whether that's corporations and companies or education and healthcare, places where I could make a difference and help to alleviate some of that suffering along the way. Oh, and I think you and I, we share that actually. We, we both started working with youth and, and more at risk behaviors. And you're right. I mean, you face a 16 year old, I'm sorry, give me your boardroom, lay it on me, right? <laughs> like, I love that, Jeff. Um, and it's true. Uh, I, I actually feel that the very things that you were probably fighting for, for those young people and for those struggling in addiction, you know, you're, you're actually in a more preventative role now. You're, you're setting them up for success by helping the workplace. So I think it's absolutely incredible, uh, even the shift. I think the shift is going to create some waves. Yeah. Thank you. When it comes to, you know, the workplace, what do you think, in your opinion, is, you know, one of the most important things that workplaces can set up or do in order to create, you know, the kind of human centeredness that you speak about? Hmm. That's a good question. I think um, I have an answer for it. We, we, I believe that all, all roads lead to power at the end of the day. And so a framework that I was introduced to when I was working in addiction and mental health is something called the right use of power framework. And it's a model that helps us understand power dynamics and helps us understand our role with power and the different types of power and some of the predictable things that happen when we find ourselves inside of power relationships, which when you look at the workplace, you know, it's full, every relationship in a work environment is, is laden with a power dynamic and how we understand that and how we intentionally use our power when we have it versus unintentionally. And so a lot of the damage that I see, the misuses of power that I see happening from a leader perspective is often unintentional. Like you say, no one wakes up in the morning and runs to work saying, I wanna misuse my power and make someone's life miserable today. And yet that's what happens sometimes. And so helping leaders understand their power and what power is, how it shows up, the impact it has on people, that for me is the, is the work that I love doing and because it's the, it makes the biggest difference in the shortest amount of time. To be honest is what I found is when we can get leaders to understand their power and see it and see it through a lens of behavioral, like if I can see how my power is impacting somebody and not judge their behavior as bad, but as natural and predictable, right? So if I show up, so psychological safety is an example. If we circle back to that, you know, what are some signs for you, Connie, when you don't feel safe, what do you do? Oh, I, I, meeting. I shut down. I'll shut, shut down. down in a meeting. Yep. Right. And so maybe you'll avoid eye contact. Maybe you'll flip your phone up. Maybe you'll lean back a little bit. And if I was your leader, I would see that. And I might say, oh, Connie's disengaged today. Connie doesn't care. 
right? Connie's got something else that's more important than this meeting, right? I'll run through my head all of the possible scenarios that put you at fault here, right? But when I'm aware of my power, I might realize that I've been talking nonstop for 20 minutes and I haven't created any space for anybody else, right? Or I just like made a demand of somebody or gave a directive that was a little bit harsh, right? And so everybody shut up after that, right? And so when I can start to see the cause and effect of how I use my power and how it shows up in people's responses to me, then I can be way more proactive with it and way more reflective of the impact that I have. And so that's, that's where I would start. That's where I do start. Um, and actually just before this call, I was doing a, a session with a, a group of leaders and DEI practitioners around, around this very topic, psychological safety and how power shows up. So yeah, very timely. That's incredible. Well, and I really like that. It's, it's basically coming back to, I call it human relationships 101. How is what I'm doing reflecting in someone else? And again, it comes back to that, those mirror neurons, you know, and how we highly affect one another. And if I can put myself in your shoes or you in mine, man, that just makes us so much uh, better as leaders. So that's incredible. Jeff, I'm such a fan of your work. I love your heart-centered approach. I love that you bring us back to what it looks like to be beautifully human and together in a professional way that brings us back to, you know, all the things we want. And so we want to encourage all the leaders who are listening, you know, that, that you probably are doing better than you think. And if you're missing any skills or if you're feeling like, I don't know how, well, there's people like Jeff out there. There's people like us out there. We each have our own different slant on the same thing, but you know, you're not alone and you don't have to do um, your leadership alone. I've heard many, many people say, I've got my MBA, but they never taught us this mm. in our MBA course. And so it's not your fault. You know? <laughs> Just keep telling yourself that. They don't teach us this anywhere. I had to work in addictions treatment for a dozen years to pick these skills up and to make these realizations. And so people, like you say, you're not alone. And I think that that, that right there might actually be a starting place for a lot of people is to reach out for support. And there's two types of support that we can get. We can get the like skill building support, help me understand this, teach me something new. And then we've got the accountability support, which is the, you know, where we come in with coaching often is to, you know, this skill or this thing is important. Let's build some accountability around it. So multiple different types of support that a leader needs to, to move the needle on this because it is lonely. Sometimes as a leader, I've been there. I've been a program manager um, in a place where I've had to make hard decisions and it's a, it's a lonely place. And I think we've all felt that to some degree or another uh, when we're in those roles. And so um, the work gets easier when we reach out for help. So I appreciate uh, the work that you do as well uh, with your team. Yeah. Well, you know, there's lots of work to be done. So uh, here we go, Jeff, let's keep, let's keep making a difference and moving that needle. And, and I just, I would encourage anyone to reach out to Jeff. Jeff, what's the best way for people to reach you? Best way to reach, you know, LinkedIn, you can just search my name, uh, Jeff Coulard, C-O-U-I-L-L-A-R-D. That throws some people off, but you can Google that. I should pop up uh, or the ally code, uh, dot world actually is a, is a place. And I can send you those links so you can, uh, you can throw them up with the podcast, but um, yeah, I mean, However you reach me, it's great. And I'd love to have a conversation about all things leadership and team development and psychological safety and all those good things. So, Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining us uh, today. I so appreciate you being here. Likewise. Thanks, Connie. I really appreciate the invitation and uh, keep on doing the great work that you guys are doing. Oh, thank you so much. And thank you to our audience listening. You know, keep, keep showing up to what's hard. What you're doing matters. And we will see you next week.